Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wyo Lee, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast about how sex is a great thing. Not just something we have to whisper about under the sheets with only our closest friends and lovers. We celebrate all things sexy, provided they are legal and consensual, and the goal is to become a little more comfortable with the skin that we are in, and maybe also a little more comfortable with the skin of one or two or three or however many people are in your orgy, too. Please keep any deliciously dirty thoughts or arousals that our guests or myself might inspire to yourself and enjoy. Our guest today is a 29-year-old American femme. She is bi and poly, married to her husband, who she's been with for eight years, and is in a long-term relationship with her gender non-conforming girlfriend, who she's been seeing off and on since high school and hopes will become her wife someday. She's very proud of her full poly switchy lifestyle and loves rope, kink, and BDSM, CNC roleplay fantasies, and edge play. Born and raised in Appalachia, now a teacher in the Bible Belt, welcome Emma. Thank you for having me. Yeah, A plus for your pronunciation, Appalachia. Very good. Thank you. I want to make sure we get it right because that is the thing. We want to just try to get people's preferences right when we can, especially when it's not hard, like pronunciation. So can you tell our listeners, if you had to rate yourself today on a sexual shame-o-meter with a scale from 1 to 10, with 10 being the most full of sexual shame and 1 being not so shamey at all, where do you fall right now? Oh, boy. This one's kind of funny. And one that I'm not particularly proud of and one I'm working on. So my sexual shame-o-meter actually falls on probably like a 6. Some days it's a 7. Today I'd say it's a 6. Sometimes I get lucky and I'm at a five. <laughs> What's it feel like inside of you to have this shameometer being from a five to seven ish? Man, it's a lot of how I was raised. Mm. So my mom was raised Catholic. Being from Appalachia, there's just a lot of shame around sex, especially for women. Mm. And being raised femme, you know, you need to be ladylike. You need to be raised to be a good wife. You know, I was kind of brought up in that era. I've got an older mom. She was born in the 50s. So, you know, being the baby of a big family and being brought up still in kind of that Catholic mindset of this is who you are going to be when you grow up. And this is what you are going to be. And I definitely defy expectations in pretty much every way. Yeah, it sounds like it from your overview. Yeah. And to be really clear, my mom and I have a great relationship. I love her to death. And, you know, maybe it's not the most open relationship as far as like topics we can talk about. She's aware of a lot of this, but it's not something we, you know, talk about over Sunday dinner, okay. mostly because she chooses just to not know the details and that's more comfortable for her. And, you know, in her older age, I want to do what's comfortable for her. Beautiful. So here's a question for you, though. When you're with your partners, what would you put your shame a meter at? So they have helped for sure. Okay. At the start, it was higher. And that was something that we actually had to work through a lot. Like higher with them as compared to with your mom or just higher than it is now? Higher than it is now. Okay. And that was actually a struggle in the beginnings of our relationships. You know, it was kind of becoming an obstacle because I couldn't relax. I couldn't break down that wall in order to have more intimacy with them. And so finally, you know, we had to have those like really scary, like, you know, roller coaster conversations of like, Let's go over the cliff side and just like do this and let's not let there be a wall and see what that's like. And once I did and once I was able to kind of let go of some of that shame and realize that, hey, you don't actually have to be ashamed, that kind of helped me bring down that shame meter from 
the higher levels that it was at. Wow. Yeah. And it was super scary. Yes. (laughs) The relationships that I have now with them and, you know, the other relationships that I've had, you know, kind of throughout my 20s, I've had comments. I call them comments. They're basically just kind of in poly terms. Yeah. They're not necessarily, you know, fully established relationships, but they're people that have kind of come and gone in your life and you have a connection that is more than friends with them. Sometimes that's sexual, sometimes it's not, but for the most part, mine have been very kink heavy. Yeah. And so just being able to break that down and have less shame about that has made such a difference in the level of closeness that I've been able to have with my partners. And I want to be a parent someday soon hopefully mm-hmm. and it definitely has taught me a lot about how you know my approach to parenting is going to be different than my parents like my mom was definitely not alone my dad it's kind of funny my dad was much more relaxed about his views on everything he was almost kind of an old hippie okay. which how that works together with my mom I'm not really sure opposites attract <laughs> Well, maybe that's the reason they got divorced when I was in middle school. I don't know. (laughs) You know, I am the product of a divorce, sort of, which, of course, the trauma that comes with that has kind of affected how I see relationships and has made me a lot more conscious of being intentional with the choices that you make in relationships. And it's kind of funny. My friends always tease me sometimes. (laughs) This is terrible. So. At one time, I think I had three partners and then I had like two comments and they were like, geez, what are you, a Pokemon trainer? Come on. Like, are those fun teases for you or does that feel like judgment? Okay. Okay. Oh, no, they were absolutely fun teases. Okay, good. And they were being really sweet about it because they would always joke that it's like, are you just so good at relationships that you can just keep a bunch of them? Like, come on. You know, because they'd be like single and they'd be like, okay, you have to share. Like, you can't, you can't just take all of them. That's not fair. I hope you said back to them, I just got to catch them all. (laughs) Yeah. And I was just like, I promise it's not that. I just like, if I want somebody, I'm not going to go after somebody I don't want. And if I want them, I'm not going to mess it up or do something stupid because I saw how that worked with my parents, Mm. I guess is what I would always say. But I realize now how like conceited that sounded and, you know, as you grow, well, (laughs) also with Polly, it's like, you're not being hoardy. You could share if they want to share, they could go out and try to make friends with your friends. If you're okay with that, you know, it depends on the relationship with people. Okay. We've heard a little bit of an overview of your sex life, but like in sexy terms, can you just give us kind of like What does sex look like in a given week for you right now? So right now is probably the tamest my sex life has ever been, which is kind of weird because I definitely wouldn't say that like it's my favorite. I would prefer the not tame, but I've kind of accepted that like every relationship and every person's life goes through a period of tameness, I guess you could say, where things kind of settle It doesn't help that, you know, we just had like a global pandemic and it doesn't help that, you know, we're busy and like just everything is a mess. What is your baseline tame? So tame for me would be, so my husband and I probably have sex maybe once or twice a week. And I miss the connection that my husband and I used to have where a lot of our sex would be very kinky. A lot of our sex now is more vanilla. We have evolved more currently as switches with me on top more than him, where before in the start, like in the earlier days of our relationship, he often topped more than me. Mm. And so that's kind of a dynamic shift that we've been having. 
and you know, and kind of the like stressors that I mentioned, I think that has a lot to do with that. Yeah. But then my girlfriend, she doesn't live with us yet, but she's probably moving in sometime soon. So she spends the weekends with us. And so we have a big king size bed. So she'll just sleep with us. I'm the ice cream and the ice cream sandwich. Um, (laughs) So sometimes, you know, when my husband is like, you know, playing video games or when he's not working out or something, she and I will do rope stuff. We have a hard point in our bedroom. And so she and I you know, we try to do something maybe like once every other week or so with rope, which usually turns into sex. (laughs) Are you also a rope top or bottom or do you switch with that as well? So most of the time I'm a rigger, the rope top. I love being a rope bottom, but that requires finding a rigger, which is difficult in the Midwest when you're not plugged into the community, super hardcore. And like I used to be, but I'm really not anymore for like several reasons. So, you know, if I ever found a rigger that I really wanted to let tie me up, I would totally be game. But as for right now, nah, I'm on the top side. Cool. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then rarely, you know, sometimes it'll be the three of us where, you know, the mood will just strike and we'll be like, oh yeah, we're totally doing this. And we'll just all kind of fall into it and we'll all have a good time. So amazing. Is there time in there for masturbation as well? Yeah, I like to do that usually when I'm home by myself. Not that it's like a shameful thing. It's just like, again, with like our life being so busy right now, one of the things that I'm trying to work on is like making time for myself and, you know, making time for like not busy things because it is definitely a struggle. I need to get better at that. And then like, you know, it's a process. We're always in a human flow and we have these ebbs and flows and like, Good news is that when there's an ebb, we know there's going to be a flow soon. So, okay. Can you tell us now, just in general, what does sexy mean to you or what is sexy to you? How do you define it personally for yourself? That one's kind of a funny answer because I identified from a very young age that sexy for me was probably different than what sexy is for most other people. And from very young age, I mean like probably five or six Where, like, you know, I was noticing things in, you know, movies or, you know, I was, like, fantasizing about, you know, doing things to my Barbies or things like that. Where I was, like, that's probably not what other girls are fantasizing about Mm. doing with their Barbies. (laughs) Do you remember any details of what you did? Oh, yeah. And my poor mother probably also remembers because she definitely found out and I'm sure she has some kind of trauma from that. So, yeah, I definitely remember, I think this was probably my top side coming out really, really early in life because I would make lists. That's normal, actually. Do you know that? Really? For kids? I didn't. So in my research, oftentimes there are games where like the kid who is like being the bad guy and tying up the prisoner, like that's actually where a lot of people who I've in research and in anecdotal conversations that I've had have like come across their early self. So that's cool that you have such a clear memory. I don't. As a submissive, I mean, the closest thing I have is like, I grew up in a house where I had to do my chores all the time and we had structures and rules, <laughs> but like that's opposite from a lot of subs. So, so what did you do to them? So I would kind of mutilate them. Like I would cut their <laughs> hair and I would take like red markers and I would like draw what I think was supposed to be blood, like on like the lower parts of them. Let's see. I would put them in all kinds of 
you know, nefarious positions. And I'm trying to remember if I tied them up. I can't recollect that I did, but that definitely sounds like something that I would have come up with. But I kept these to-do lists of things that I wanted to do to them, and then I would enact them out. And I know that my mom found the lists and then had to ask me about them Mm. at five or six. And I remember, oh gosh, she looked like she was going to cry. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. It was terrible. And I remember when I was five or six, I felt bad. I felt not pity, but I felt a sense of regret, Mm. not for doing them, but that she found them. She found them. Yes. Okay. Which was yeah. so funny. Like reflecting on that, I'm like, oh, I was ornery <laughs> like, oh, yeah. when I was little because yeah. I wasn't sorry that I did it. Kids are smart. I think we don't give them enough credit. So how has that changed over the years? Like as an adult now, what do you find sexy? Same stuff, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so what I find sexy is definitely, I would say, very primal, very like almost animalistic the predator and prey type aspect whenever I look up porn porn never really does it for me like not normal you know how normal porn it just seems so curated it's very performative sex and so like the visuals can be very erotic and beautiful for me and I saw some real life porn with some sex workers recently in person and I was like Oh, they're so beautiful. This still does nothing for me because I also don't know my relationship to it. And I can't help but get into my producer brain and like wonder stuff. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. So whenever I was, you know, looking up porn, I noticed like performative stuff or anything like that never did it for me. But what really captured me, like whenever I looked up stuff or whenever I saw things that I wasn't supposed to see, even today when I, you know, whether it's, you know, scrolling on FetLife or, you know, looking up things or even... I don't know. I've often been like, you know, walking somewhere and you kind of glance and you're probably seeing something you're not supposed to see, but you know, you're intrigued. So you can't not look Mm -hmm. when it is an element of power, you know, either power being displayed or being taken away. And so amateur porn was always really attractive to me because I could tell that it was real, but it was always the rougher stuff. And then when I discovered BDSM porn, but not the performative, it was the first time that I discovered kink.com, which is so funny because that was, oh man, that was a life-changing day. (laughs) The times that I discovered like the girls being pinned down or like the guys being able to, you know, like wrestle a girl down to the ground or something like that. I was like that. I want that. How old were you when you discovered kink.com? So I was probably 19 or 20. When I found kink.com, but my first exposure to, you know, kind of kinkier porn was probably 15. I had a cousin who had access to channels up in the thousands. Okay, so I never have had cable my entire life and I don't have it. I haven't had a TV for years. Is the thousands mean sexy or does that just mean lots of channels? Thousands mean they're the channels that are probably like the pay-per-view or the like. Probably sexy. The things that aren't the normal channels, they're not going to be like your history channel or your anything like that. They're going to be like the selective channels. I see. And so like, I remember spending the night and, you know, she just had those on and I was just captured. Mm. It was these girls and they were tied down to these fucking machines and I was just in. And I was like, oh my God, I found my kink. Oh no. (laughs) Amazing. 
Yeah. And for years I was trying to figure out afterwards, was it the fucking machines that I was so attracted to? Was it the fact that they couldn't get away? Was it, you know, cause I, obviously they were enjoying themselves, you know, they were orgasming after orgasming after orgasming, you know, like, yeah. so I knew that it wasn't not consensual, obviously, but there was an element of they couldn't escape if they wanted yeah. to. Yeah. And I realized through, you know, a little bit of research, a little bit of, you know, experimenting with boyfriends and, you know, then my girlfriend, ah, okay. It is the, you couldn't get away. <laughs> you are stuck, you know, being physically dominated, that kind of feeling. That is apparently what I find incredibly sexy. <laughs> I find that sexy both as the top and the bottom, yeah. which is really weird to me. Not not weird in a bad way, but I imagine that's probably a little uncommon because I know that a lot of my friends that I talk to, it's usually one or the other. I recently went to a workshop that was held by a local dominatrix and she made a joke to all of us she's like uh okay doms anyone dom here okay submissives okay she's like switches yeah you got to be in charge when you have to <laughs> it was something like that it was something that was just very oh. like like almost like switches yeah are you real kind of thing but i've met a few real ones or at least talked to a few real ones and i am working on my own version you know it, i don't think that i will ever be a dominant in my own personal life but i'm like developing all my stuff so i'm like very curious to talk to you but before we dive into all the details and we're getting such delicious peaks of interest, I'm extremely excited to hear from you as a poly person. What happens to your shame meter when it's time to talk about safer sex? Did you ever get a lesson about consent? How do you handle your health and safety? I desperately wish that I would have gotten a better lesson on consent and a better lesson on sex ed when I was younger, because I definitely didn't. Growing up in Appalachia, sex ed was separate the girls, separate the guys, show both of them terrible pictures of what happens to your genitalia if you get STIs, tell them abstinence only, and then like basically very vaguely talk about periods. And that was about it. We really didn't get much more than that to the point where, so I was starting to really struggle with birth control because I was taking the pills. And I could never remember to take them on time. And so I was terrified of having a pregnancy scare because of the shame that had been like bred into me of you don't get pregnant before you're married. Mm -hmm. And so I would go to Walmart and I would switch my girlfriend ring over to my wedding ring hand to buy a pregnancy test because I was terrified of what people would think of me. Oh, yeah, it was so bad. And then, of course, I wasn't pregnant. But then he was asking me, he was like, do you want to try a different form of birth control? And I was like, I don't know what's out there. Yeah. And so my husband, because he grew up over in the West, the beautiful, sunny California, where sex ed is actually a thing. Well, you know, depends on where you're from. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. You know, the Southern part. Yeah. Good. He actually was the one to teach me about how all of that works and so like I have an IUD now and it's amazing it's the best thing I could have ever had beautiful but like why I didn't know about that sooner is terrifying you know yeah like oh my gosh we live in a country that does not mandate sex ed and in the places that do which is fewer than half the states it doesn't have to be medically accurate in all of them yeah it's bonkers yeah absolutely terrifying to me like 
Ugh. So anyway, and then as for like, you know, the STIs thing and consent, like, I mean, they never talked to us about that. And then growing up with that, you know, you're going to be a woman who is ladylike and who is, you know, not, you know, I don't want to say I was ever taught not to stand up for myself, but it is always subliminal. Absolutely. You know, you want to be demure and polite and kind and smile. and You know, I mean, it's there. And so I actually learned consent the hard way, I guess, content warning here for just a minute. So I had a boyfriend in my first year of college and we broke up and then I don't know if he wanted like a pity fuck or like a booty call or something, but he texted me and was like, my girlfriend just broke up with me. Sad. And I was like, oh no. And of course, you know, I'm still brokenhearted because I adored him. And so I ran to the rescue to be with him because, you know, I was kind of hoping like he'd take me back. That was, you know, not a good idea. And then we ended up in his car and he wanted a blowjob. And I was not here for that. I mean, it's not that I was like, you know, screaming, running out of the car, not here for that. But like, that wasn't my idea of a good time. Should we have to scream and run away for it to be a no? Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, he was my first partner that I had experimented with kink with and CNC. Mm. And so we had played before with CNC. So no didn't necessarily mean no back in our previous relationship. But here's the problem. No meant no to me because we had broken up. No didn't mean no to him anymore because we had previously agreed that no didn't mean no. And so, you know, he was like, I want you to blow me. And I was like, no, like, I'm not going to do that. And he was like, oh, yeah, whatever. And then grabbed my head and proceeded to, you know, do that. And I was so shocked that, you know, I didn't, you know, I, (laughs) I could kind of hear all of the, you know, all of the teaching of my childhood that don't bite him, don't be Mm. ugly, you know, don't be unladylike, you know, I could hear all of that in my head. And so I didn't react in a way that would clue him into, no, I'm not playing. Like I'm actually not okay. And so was it rape? Yes. But did I give him any indication after that, that I wasn't okay? No, I actually didn't. Cause I was so shocked yeah. that we had such a miscommunication. Cause I knew, I knew that in his mind, he didn't think that he had raped me because to him, we were still playing. And to me, we were not playing. And, you know, we talked later And I admitted to him, I was like, you raped me. You know that, right? And he, I mean, he was in tears. He was like, no, no, I did not. Don't say that. I did not do that to you. I would not do that to you. And, you know, we had to have this really long talk. And by the end of it, you know, I'm fine, obviously. You know, it still broke my heart, both for me and for him, that we had to go through that. But I don't blame him I blame the fact that we're not taught in this country that consent is a conversation that you have. And that I think if we were taught that, that maybe that wouldn't have happened because then maybe I would have had the language to say, Hey, I think you think we're playing and we're not playing. Maybe he would have had the language to say, does no still mean no, or does it not mean no? And, you know, maybe, 
maybe, maybe it would have still happened, but I definitely don't think he's a horrible human being. You know, I don't think he set out to intentionally do that to me. I think we had a horrible miscommunication, but I, you know, that definitely did like stone cold sober me up about consent. Mm. And from there, it took my view of consent in the kink world as both a top and a bottom into this very clear, you know, we have a very explicit conversation from the time we start talking to the time we start playing to after we play to just check and make sure that we are on the same page because miscommunications happen and that's where it turns into rape accusations and that I would never want to be on either end of that. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that story. And that's a really clear example of why these conversations can just be the ticket away from rapiness, maybe. I I don't know. Yeah. It's tough because we literally do have decades of media that shows us the social example of like, no, like literally even in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. So it's the Han Solo Princess Leia dynamic of like, rapey is sexy, but it's not. And we know that. So thank you for that illustration. How old were you when that experience occurred? So that was my freshman year of college. I was 19. Uh, Unpopular opinion, I I think, is the last thing that I want to add. So I have a lot of friends who, you know, because I've shared that story. I am very open about it because I think we live in a world right now where all of these conversations are very black and white, where it's, you know, either a woman did absolutely nothing and it is nothing, nothing about that is her fault or all of that is her fault. And I feel like that's not fair to anyone. And so my unpopular opinion using my story as an example is rape is complicated, far more complicated than we allow it to be right now. And so I take some responsibility for what happened to me. And, you know, that's not victim blaming. That's not excusing what he did. You know, that's not letting him off the hook, nothing like that. But I think that it's important for me as a human so that I can feel right about what happened, that I can say, you know, not only was he taught throughout his life that rapey is sexy, kind of like you said, the beauty and the beast, the no, no. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, But I taught him. I taught him rapey was sexy because that's what I'm into. You know, I'm into CNC. We played with no, not meaning no. And so I've had a lot of friends who I've shared that story with and they were very clear to be like, you know, don't say that about yourself. Don't take responsibility. That wasn't your fault. You know, just because you played like that before doesn't mean it was okay for him to do that. And I'm like, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I am not saying that that was okay, but I don't think it's okay for me to pretend that I didn't have a part in what happened, you know? And it's not about blame, though. Our culture is broken. It's up to all of us. It's not about blame. So often in conversations with someone who, like, well, I had to let go a couple friendships this year because there were these dynamics where they would be like, well, it's your fault you don't understand. Or like, well, I'm not. And I'm like, we're trying to have a conversation. This isn't about faults. If I don't understand you, it's not because you're saying it bad and it's not because I'm listening wrong. Like, I promise you, I'm really good at listening. Do it for work all the time. I'm very good at it. Sometimes we just don't communicate. Sometimes we're on different pages. Sometimes we can't help that we got born into a broken culture. But it is up to all of us, without blaming ourselves, to just do our best to do better. So I really appreciate that story. And I really appreciate you sharing that perspective. Thank you. I love that concept that it's it's not about blame. I wish we could take blame away. That right now we view things in black and white. Blame. Judgment. 
Shame. Mm -hmm. It's just not that way. But it's very complex. It's very complicated. This whole podcast exists because I saw how the conversations were unfolding in 2017 and 2018. And I was like, huh, that doesn't make any sense to me because it's not one thing or the other. And like, there are so many layers and pieces. And okay. There's so much more. Uh, there's so much more. There's so much more to learn about you. And you sound extremely wise and extremely sexy and extremely experienced. Thank you. Can you take us back to your origins? We've heard a little bit about the sex ed that you didn't get. Can you tell us, were the Barbies the first sexual memory that you have? Or is there earlier stuff? Like, when do you remember hearing about sex for the first time and thinking and feeling? So I found my parents' sex stories under their bed. <laughs> They were in a box under their bed, dildos and vibrators. And I think it was a strap on. I don't know. <laughs> I had to be five, six, seven, somewhere in there because I didn't know what it was. Obviously, I was too young. But I remember to this day, I knew it was some kind of thing my dad had because I showered with my dad when I was yeah, little. Same. And so I was like, oh, that looks like what my dad has. And then I remember thinking, does he put it on to pee? Like, is it some kind of like, is that how, do you take it off like a Kendall? Like, does that come on and off? Like, I, I remember just having this total confusion about male genitalia. Yeah. But then, like, later, I remember kind of in my teenage years piecing it together that that was probably a strap on. Because I was just like, wait a second. What? It really cracked me up. I remember this is probably the weirdest part. So like their sex toys lived under their bed and, you know, they had like vibrators and all of that. And so it was probably super early, but like, you know, nine, 10, when my parents would leave me home alone, I knew where those were. And so I actually probably started with sex toys really early. Okay. And not like inside or anything, but you know, like clit stimulation and things like that. When did you discover your clit and how? And were they vibrating? Like, what were you doing with them? And how did you know how to do those things? That's a really good question. I wish I had like a definitive answer, but I know that I was aware of it. Of course, I didn't know what it was or why it felt good, but I was aware of it from like, you know, five, six, seven. The horniest people who I talk to, like, typically have discovered that they felt good before any sort of like sexual social awareness comes along with it because like I am one of them I was like a small child that was like feelings good mm. but like not everyone has that experience and I can't help but wonder like how much like sex story collectively is like lost in our early years <laughs> right yeah I wonder too and so I think I delved into you know internet research probably you know eight nine ten you know because I remember getting in trouble I think my parents found my search history because this was the early days of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was very easy to find search history. And I remember my parents being very upset. And, you know, this was probably in the downfall of their marriage. And so I think my discoveries at an earlier age was probably complicating their relationship. You know, why is she discovering all of this so early? And, you know, and then the toys, of course. Honey, we shouldn't have used the strap on. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't have hid your toys under the bed. I don't know. I knew God would be angry. Sorry, those are terrible jokes. <laughs> I love the idea of like your Catholic mom using a strap. I don't know. Like I don't just I love strap on. I, I love them. Okay, great. <laughs> I could never ask her, but I just, you know, cracks me up. I'm like, wow, you go, you go, mom. <laughs> have you used a strap on as a giver of strap yet? 
Heck yeah. Okay. When did that start for you? Just to make it a full parallel. We got our first one in high school, my cool. girlfriend and I. Okay. Okay. We're jumping ahead. Okay. Stay back in your early years and fill us in until we get to the high school strap on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, then I would say, you know, that was kind of 9, 10, 11. Getting into middle school was when I realized, oh, boys are cute. I like boys. Whoa. I want boys to do unspeakable things to me out on our trampoline, which was in the very far back part of our property in the dark woods. Amazing. <laughs> and then I was just like, oh, that's probably not normal. Because like, you know, all of my girlfriends in middle school were just like, oh, I want him to kiss me in like the treehouse. They're like, oh my gosh, I want him to like sleep with me. And, you know, like all of these really sweet things. And I was just like, well, I kind of want him to like pin me down and shove his fingers in me and on the trampoline. And I wanted to be like, nighttime and scary and i'm like yeah. you know <laughs> and they were like oh my god emma no <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh is that not is that not what we're doing okay well i you know i just figured. i love that you told them <laughs> though it sounds like you told them and that's amazing yeah i was honest probably because i didn't know not to be right i mean like we called ourselves the fab five we had just the closest friendship yeah it was super sweet and we loved the same music and we talked about all the same boys and you know and so they would tease me but it was never harmful it was just like oh my god Emma, whoa so did you ever act on any of those fantasies or did you discover your own body first I had discovered my own body so that was not new but I didn't have a lot of self-confidence like at all I was probably struggling with the beginnings of body dysmorphia. So I was feeling like I weighed a lot more. I was a lot bigger than I should be. All of my friends were thinner. They were kind of, you know, athletic. And so I was feeling like I just didn't fit the attractive middle school girl type. And so I never had confidence to approach any boy, let alone with my weird sexual preferences. Right. <laughs> so yeah, all of my fantasies were very much in the dark. And then high school came around and I dated a boy online for a little while. And he and I kind of enacted a lot of our darker sexual fantasies with one another over like webcam. <laughs> so yeah, he and I were super into each other. And so that was kind of where I got to explore some of the more kinky parts. So that was a lot of fun. Do you remember details of like what you explored or what the motions of the, the newness? That's a lot of newness. I remember him having me be naked on webcam for him. And, you know, this was after us building trust. And, you know, so I knew that this was very safe and we felt very comfortable with one another. We actually met in person. So I had a family reunion out where he lived, like close. Mm -hmm. And his family had a boat and they were going for like a lake retreat close to where my family reunion was. And so his parents and my parents actually were okay with us meeting which was really cool. And so we actually got to meet and that's how we both lost our virginity. <laughs> Not that they knew that, but... <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Amazing. Yeah. But yeah, we actually snuck off and went and had sex. Wow, what was it like? What do you remember? And where did you sneak to exactly? Was it like outside? Yeah, it was in the forest and it was on the ground. We had like a picnic blanket that was kind of scratchy. It didn't feel good. Okay. Un like, unfortunately, it was not a good first time, but not because of like, it was just an uncomfortable first yeah. time 
I mean, I think for him it was good. I don't okay. know. He said okay. it was good. But then again, I said it was good too. I was going to say, we though, wouldn't like, say anything. I would never have said anything different when I was a teenager. I would be like, I was always like, yeah, I like, but also it was like, I was so excited. And like, as long as I wasn't feeling damaged, I was like, I'll figure it out. I'll get better. Like I was, I'm, right. I, st- I mean, to this day, I still have that same. I'm like, I'll just keep yeah. trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all I remember is his hip bones were so pointy. <laughs> there was nothing wrong otherwise. Like, I wanted to be able to feel him inside me, but mm-hmm. I was so distracted by the fact that his hip bones were stabbing me uh-huh. that I couldn't even feel him. And I was just like, this is terrible. Is this what sex is like? Their hip bones stabbing you? No. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first time. Not super great. But anyway. Back to the webcam thing. I mean, we would just do things like that or like he would have me masturbate and then I couldn't come until he said that I could. Okay. That's pretty dummy. I know. For his birthday, I bought him a cupcake and then I proceeded to smear the icing all over my naked body on (gasps) webcam. (laughs) Adding that to my bucket list. Yeah, it was a good time. And I was 16. I mean, he was 16 as well. So, but yeah, that was our online fantasy relationship it was fun (laughs) that is incredible how did partnerships or explorations unfold from there was it like what's between that and strap on land he and I kind of broke it off just because the distance was hard I mean when you're 16 yeah you want to be in person it's too hard to not be in person because everything is about touch everything is about experiencing new things and when you're half a country away from someone you know people are a lot closer (laughs) for him and for me. And so we kind of just admitted to each other. We were like, look, like there's these really cute people at my school and like, I love you, but they're right here. So anyway, and so there was this girl at the school and I was just kind of captured by her, if you would. I just could not take my eyes off of her. I just, I thought she was gorgeous and just captivating. She just was different than anyone I had ever really met. And I wanted to know more about her. And at first, like, I didn't realize that it was a crush until she started spending a lot of time over at my house. And I remember we were laying in the bed and she had spent the night a couple times. And, you know, I had kind of clued into the fact that, oh, okay, I probably want to do things with her that aren't just friend things. And I remember being so shy about it because I knew I couldn't come to terms with the fact that I might be bi or gay Mm. more than I was worried about what anyone else thought. I knew that my mom would be okay with it, weirdly enough. Yeah. And I knew that my dad would be okay with it. I didn't worry about that because my parents had always been very open and accepting of LGBTQ stuff, which thank goodness. But I was like, I don't think I'm that. Like, I don't, I don't think so. But I'm really horny and she's really pretty. And so we're just, we're just going to try it out. I'm laughing because I can relate so much. Yeah. My playful excuse was that I was going to play like the fire truck game or like the stoplight game. I know it has lots of different names. Basically, it's where I started touching her at just her neck. And then my hand kept going lower and lower and lower and lower until she would tell me to stop. Uh-huh. And she didn't tell me to stop. Amazing. So then, you know, it turned into like making out and like touching each other and we had sex. And that was the first time I ever made a girl come. And I was just like, oh, that was a good time. I like making girls come. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That is a really fun thing to do. 
it seems like a perfect moment to tell us what you love about it and if you have any particular moves. So particularly with my girlfriend, and I've been with a couple other girls, but I've actually been with far less female partners than I have male. So with my girlfriend, my favorite thing is like G-spot orgasms and using my fingers or toys because like she kind of convulses all over and it's just, I think it's kind of the hottest thing ever. Like, especially when I have them like tied up and just like bound up, but they still struggle mm. in the ropes because they're coming so hard. Like mm. that's just the hottest thing to me. Amazing. Like she's super lucky. I'm, su- I'm jealous, but in like the most loving way she can come over and over and over. Yeah. I say I'm compersialist because I'm happy for them and I'm jealous for me. <laughs> I love that word, compersialist. Yes. <laughs> and so I love being able to like, I guess it might go with the CNC or like kind of like the physical, you know, forcefulness, but I love being able to like force orgasms mm. as a top. So yeah, being able to do that with her is so hot. Okay. So is this the same person or was that a different first experience in high school? Nope. That's the same person. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yep, that's the person I hope to marry. <laughs> wow. Does she slash they touch you as well? Yes. Well, I would love to hear this seems like a fine time to talk about what your lady parts like receiving. Yeah. So with them, it's kind of been slower with them touching me. So you'll kind of hear me say she and they, uh, the pronouns are kind of, you've been doing it. Yeah. Interchangeable. Mm -hmm. So they are currently exploring gender identity. It's been she for a very long time. And then recently they've kind of been exploring, well, I'm not sure if, you know, girl, female fits, not to the point of trans necessarily. I don't think she's thinking that that's maybe where she's fitting in, but definitely more gender non-conforming or, you know, non-binary. And so I think with that, and, you know, these are just theories that she and I have discussed. I think that's probably with those struggles and some of those conflicts, you know, subconsciously, that may have been difficult in our earlier days for her to kind of fool around with me Mm. because a lot of the, you know, gender stereotypes that we're taught as kids, you know, the girls touch guys and then the girls receive and then the guys do, you know, like who is active and who is passive. I think she struggled a lot with that. And Mm. so that has come more recently and it's really funny. So I kind of tease her and she thinks it's the cutest thing. I tease her, I really, really, really like you, is what I say, because it really doesn't take much to make me come, (laughs) because I guess I've been with her for so long, and I haven't really been able to experience very much with her as, like, the one touching me, that I feel like a high school kid all over again, because she doesn't really have to do much. (laughs) Wow, wow. I feel like a teenage boy, where I'm just like, ah, crap, like, two minutes crap, there it goes. (laughs) That's amazing. Okay. I would love to hear if you can articulate physical specificity of how that happens and then compare it to how you touch yourself. Yeah. So I am a a big proponent of Hitachi wands. They're my favorite. I have been since high school. I think 
every person needs a good Hitachi wand. I agree. <laughs> not product placement or anything. <laughs> yes, they're not sponsoring anyway. the pod, but maybe I should write to them. I think they're just doing fine. Yeah, I know, but they could. They <laughs> I've never heard an advertisement for them. I think they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I love Hitachi wands or I love any kind of like clit vibration. Yeah. Because as much as I would love to be able to come through like G-spot or like vaginal stimulation, I have never been able to, which I know is pretty common for mm-hmm. some women. 30%. But basically what she does, I come really easily when like I'm using my Hitachi and I'm being kissed or I'm being touched around or like in my vag. And so usually what she does is she'll be like kissing me or like she'll kiss my neck or something. And then she has these like wonderfully long fingers and fingernails. And so she'll drag her fingernails like up my thigh because she knows I'm both a sadist and a masochist. I like both as a true switch. (laughs) I was going to say, I think you might be the first one I've met. Wow. Yeah, I'm kind of a unique one for sure. I love it. (laughs) So yeah, she'll drag her fingernails up my thigh. And then the way my vag is labia majora, labia minora, a lot of people kind of have like both. So my minora is tucked in a lot. So I don't Mm -hmm. really have like both curtains, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always call it everything's kind of neatly folded in. It's like a neat little Tupperware. And so she can basically like run her fingers along the outside and then like dip her fingers in. And then huh. basically like I come. That's it. Like, I don't want to say embarrassing, like for real, because it's not yeah, embarrassing. Yeah. It's great. But like in the joking way, it's embarrassing. <laughs> I love it. Because oh it just, it's so fast. And I'm like, oh, I really, really like you. <laughs> Do you let the fingernails go inside? I have pretty long fingernails. I hate cutting them. You can see if I hold them up to the camera. I hate cutting them. I have noticed your fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> I cut some of them sometimes, but I'm also like, I stick them inside myself just fine. But I always hear people talk about how like lesbians have to not have fingernails. What's your take on that? It sounds like a little bit's okay. Her fingernails have never bothered me. Okay. I think, you know, if we were doing more like hardcore fingering, you know, I have plenty of toys that she has used on me. Okay. Usually we don't get there because I've already come. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Okay. <laughs> what about on yourself? Do you have fingernails? I usually have fake fingernails. Fake ones are more thick, so they're not as sharp. Okay. But I usually don't use my fingers. I like toys when I'm doing things to myself. Someone also told me the trick of cotton ball and a finger condom or a glove. Ew. If you I've want not to keep your fingernails one. on. I just learned it. So just remembered it. That's very clever. I would have never thought of that. Keeping it in my back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, I like toys and my Hitachi. And then for when I'm with like a penis having partner. So Being bi, I guess, side comment, a lot of people compare bi and pan, you know, and I've heard a lot of weird comparisons with like, well, bi people only like male and female. And then with pan, it's like you like the full gender. And it's like, I mean, there may be some people out there that believe that, but I have never felt that way about myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I say I'm bi. But, you know, I've seen plenty of trans people that I'm like, oh, my God, you're really hot. Totally. You know, does that make me not bi? I don't think so. No, I ask a lot of people. It seems like the people who are a little less neurotypical and really like linguistic accuracy tend to prefer pansexual. This is just my anecdotal experience and like tracking the patterns. And like, I'm a person that's like, 
well, I want to be very clear and I don't want to have mistakes. So I'll just use that word, I guess. But when I'm in a situation of more normie people who aren't as used to talking about sex, I say bye because it fits in brains easier if they aren't as experienced, depending on where I am. If I say pansexual and they're like, what? I'll be like, bisexual. And so that's how I've been using it. Yeah, like I've always identified as bi because I started the first GSA in my high school. I was an officer for the GSA in my college. And, you know, like the B is in the LGBTQ flag. So I just went by the B. Not to say that pan shouldn't be in the flag. It should. But like, I guess it's just like ingrained in me that, yeah, I'm bi. So suck yeah i don't I know I, I don't make a big deal out of it it's not a big deal we get to pick our own things yeah but anyway back to what i was saying is like for when i'm with like guys yeah like rough sex all the time there's something to be said about vanilla sex you know not downing that like you know intimate sex or sweet sex or like apology sex or like there are times where that's wonderful and mm. i'm not saying like you know slow and gentle isn't good it is But I've just found that, like, my body likes, like, you know, Mm -hmm. pull my hair, pin me down and just, like, fuck me really, really hard. I get it. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny how that spectrum kind of aligns with the gender, you know, dynamic type thing that I'm attracted to. Like I said, I haven't been with a whole lot of women. And so I haven't been with women who have gotten super, like, dominant and rough with me. But I would love in the future to see if that lines up that way oh yeah same. that would be interesting I hear you yeah <laughs> yes because I am taller and bigger and so usually women are smaller than me I know me too how tall are you I am 5'11 okay that's really tall so I wonder if that's kind of where the switch part of me sits kind of like the fulcrum is if they're smaller than me then I feel more toppy but if they're bigger than me then I feel more sub but I've also noticed my husband is you know half inch inch shorter than me and he is a little smaller than me but I you know he still topped me and still does sometimes so I gotta wonder if maybe you know Maybe it doesn't matter about like the size necessarily. And I just haven't run into the really scary lady. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it's an energetic thing, but also from the nerdy reading that I do, humans actually do respond to size in terms of leadership, like just across if they, they looked at CEOs and things like that. And there's a lot of tall leaders. When you go out in the world, do people often treat you like a natural authority like I always get asked for directions or how to yes. do things or, uh, yep I think it's constantly <laughs> maybe a groundedness thing it's actually really funny that you said that so all of my friends are shorter and smaller than me and sometimes I will go out with them and I'll not be standing near them and I will notice how people treat them like sometimes I have been around but not right next to them and I've seen how men will talk to them or will flirt with them or will like cat call them and then I'll walk over and then they won't. And I've never been treated the way that some of them have. Same. And I'm like, wait, is that normal? And they're like, oh yeah. And I'm like, they've never done that to me. Yeah. That was my experience during me too. I was like, sorry, what's happening to people? What? Yeah. I mean, I knew personal friendships. I did not. I didn't know. I didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. I know. I was horrified. I was like, oh no. <laughs> Not while I'm around. Yeah. Oh, no. I will be your tree friend. Wow. Okay, so back to your sex life. What have we not covered yet that we need to know about you? Turn-ons, turn-offs, 
toys that like and I want to hear about the kinky evolution of yourself, but you know your story. So where should we start? I'm super into anal. <laughs> How did that when did that happen? When was your first t- anal time? And did, did you immediately like it? Did you have to grow to like it? Tell us about your asshole. So funny enough, I get to tell you a good thing about the guy that I told you the, you know, disappointing thing about with the whole, you know, blowjob miscommunication thing. Because there are many good things about him, too. Humans always have good things. That is true. He is the one that helped me discover that uh, anal is a total thing for me. (laughs) Because for him and I both, we were both terrified of me getting pregnant, even though we had condoms, you know. Uh Even though I was on birth control, but, you know, in the world of no sex ed, we didn't know how easy it would be for me to get pregnant. And we were both just terrified because Mm. neither of us were about to have that happen. And so we both were just kind of like, okay, we want to have sex. And then we both were kind of like, do you want to just do anal? (laughs) And that was the first time that we had sex. You know, obviously it wasn't my first time and it wasn't his first time, but like it was our first time together. And it's wild to think of now because I was like, there was no way I was going to get pregnant. We could have totally just had normal sex. But it was a really good time because I had my vibrator and I came really fast and I was not expecting it because I was like, oh, this is going to suck. Like, this is not going to feel as good. Like, you know, because I had had toys in my vag, my own doing, but I had never really experimented back there myself, but I trusted him and we had lube and he had fingers and it was great. And I was like, oh my God, wow, that was way better than it was supposed to be. And then from then on, I kind of learned about my body that, oh, apparently any kind of, you know, simulation or like filling feeling back there just makes me come really fast whether I'm subbing or you know bottoming or just whenever we're having sex anytime my partner wants to like make me come really fast a lot of times my favorite thing like my favorite feeling ever is like when they're fucking me especially like from behind and then they take their finger and they put it in my ass (laughs) while I'm using my vibrator and then it's like it's just a switch it's just like oh there it is yep (laughs) yeah yeah Will you tell us how your switchy self evolved? It sounds like you started out submissive, but it also sounds like you had early tendencies. So what was your like awareness around that like? So it definitely started just with gender. So I think I was raised to be very submissive with men, kind of in that normal gender standard that, you know, we're all kind of raised kind of like I said, men are active, women are passive Unless you're me and they tell you boys are equal to girls. And I go, okay. And here we are. Uh, That's amazing. I mean, it comes with its own set of problems. It's just like I've learned that you can't just literally believe most things that people tell you. And it's hard to remember that for me. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, definitely growing up in Appalachia, you know, a small town, like being raised with this idea of a good wife. And, you know, my mom was a model of this. A good wife loves, cares for, and obeys, obeys (laughs) her husband to the point where I even got brave enough after I had discovered kink. I got brave enough that I actually asked my mom if she was into BDSM because I was convinced that she was a sub. Smart. Yeah. Oh, God. She was. (laughs) 
she was horrified and didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> wow. Because I was thinking she had a 1950s housewife kink, and I now know that she was just a 1950s housewife. <laughs> but I totally outed myself with that question, and I had to tell her. I was like, oh, mom, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I was 21. It was right when I was going to my first kink parties. Wow. And I was like, I really think my mom has a, a 1950s housewife kink. Because she gets my stepdad his coffee and she like serves him dinner. And she always yep. waits till he eats. Yep. Until she eats. And she does all of these little things that are just so quaint. <laughs> and, you know, I was convinced. I was like making a case like a lawyer here. And I was so wrong. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you ever wonder, though, if maybe she's just super sneaky? Oh, man. Sometimes. I really... Sometimes I do. Because I just never really know. I have such a hard time reading people. So even when I really believe someone, for me, there's always... And that's why trust is such a thing for me. There's always something in my back of my mind that's like, well, but everything is possible. Yeah. Or what if you sparked it? What if she, like, went and researched it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I wonder if she's going to be like 95 and she's going to be like, Emma, honey, I have something to tell you. All these years, you've been right. <laughs> uh, if that happens, please let me know. Oh, I will. Oh, I will for sure. <laughs> okay. So following the thread. Okay. So the, the gender thing. Okay. Yeah. So I think, you know, with my boyfriends, it was always automatically kind of a submissive mindset. And then with my first girlfriend and then kind of subsequent girl partners that I've been with, I think the reason that I've kind of had that more dominant mindset. So I kind of mentioned I started the GSA, Gay Straight Alliance, in my high school. And then I was an officer in the LGBTQ club in my college. So we also were really big fans of like anime and like you know all of that and then of course with that comes you know all of this like gay pairings and yeah. all of the you know like yaoi and like all of the you know super nerdy like stuff and that comes with its own sense of power dynamic where one of them is more submissive and one of them is more dominant you know you might be noticing a theme in my life <laughs> and with that you know, in both gay culture and, you know, all of this, like, anime and just all of all of these influences, both in high school and college, I was really trying to find where I fit in with that if it wasn't a traditional male-female relationship where I was automatically assumed to be submissive. Because mm. I remember I was struggling with it. Because kind of like I said before, you know, I was the one who was struggling to accept that I might be bi or gay. I wasn't worried about what anybody else thought because they were all super accepting. But I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't I don't think I am that. And so I was actually really struggling with my identity in that regard. And so I saw my girlfriend as this beautiful, thinner, prettier, feminine girl. Mm. And so then I automatically assumed, OK, well, then I must be the opposite. Wow. Yeah. And this actually had a really negative effect on me for a long time with my body dysmorphia, with a lot of the confidence issues that I was having. 
I actually kind of divorced myself from femininity for a little while. I say a little while, I'm, I'm really talking like almost 10 years. <laughs> and I kind of took on this more dominant, almost butch type of femme where I was the bigger one and I was the more male person in the relationship. And I was, you know, I was her caretaker and I was the leader. And it served me well in, you know, college and high school because, yeah, I was a leader and I got a scholarship and, you know, all of these things. But it definitely damaged my sense of identity because I really struggled with what it meant to be me, what it meant to be femme, what it meant to still like boys yeah. and also like girls, yeah. <laughs> what it meant that I really wanted to wear all of these pretty dresses, but I like resigned myself that no, I don't wear those because I'm the top, I'm the dom. And so it's actually only within the past about five years that I've really come back around to, now wait a second, I can be both. I can be both gay and straight. It's called bi. <laughs> I can be both masculine and feminine, you know, I can be both top and bottom, it's switch. And so I've really kind of learned in the past five years to celebrate this idea that I can be more than just one thing. So it's kind of come full circle. That's so beautiful. Can you tell us the specific sexy ways that you like to celebrate? So I celebrate by wearing makeup for one. So as a dom before, I was kind of mirroring what I saw from male doms at the kink parties. So I would wear, you know, jeans, t-shirt, no makeup, hair up in a ponytail. But I really started realizing I don't necessarily have to be a femdom, right? I don't have to wear like the leather skirt and the high heels and stuff because I'm a rigger. So I want to be able to really get into it with my bottom but I can still wear, you know, makeup. I can still put like a couple braids in my hair and then throw it up in a ponytail. I can still kind of celebrate my identity as, you know, a femme top. You know, I can wear the jeans that make my ass look good. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then as a bottom, I'm not much into lingerie, but I have noticed that I really like cuffs and collars and like anklets that jingle or things that aren't necessarily delicate, but that have that sense of sparkliness or some kind of jeweled aspect. It gives me a way to feel pretty, but to still feel durable. That's the thing that I find sexy about bottoming. For me, I like that I don't break easily. Yes. I am not fragile. So I don't want anything that I'm wearing to be fragile. Oh, I fucking love that. Also, I'm a person that gets told unsolicited often that I look fragile or wispy or weak. And I'm like, okay, I'm not trying to beat me. See how long, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) I love that. Beautiful. You mentioned going to play parties. I would love to hear about your experience there. Also, you said your first one was eight years ago. And that's how long you've been with your husband. Are those related? So they're actually not related, believe it or not. I met him through some of the people at the play parties. Amazing. Yeah. He never went to them. Not that he wasn't like into it, but he just never kind of ended up there. And so we never met except through he and his wife at the time they had divorced. And so it was just kind of a connection through connection thing. And then I was like, oh, I really like you. Wait a second. (laughs) I want to be yours. Hold on. But the play parties were really fun because I loved the ability to be 
both a top and a bottom in the same night, the ability to switch gears. I would always enjoy, especially having like multiple partners, because like my husband, my husband and I have been together and then I've also had other partners as well in the prior years. So it's all kind of been a patchwork quilt, if you will. And so being able to top in the beginning of the night and really, you know, be dominant and then switch gears to more submissive in the later half of the night, that is so rewarding for me. So like, I love being able to rig, to put on that performance, to really connect with my bottom. And then, you know, they're usually pretty worn out afterwards. So I always think of shibari as like really pretty and really like graceful because it is very much the martial art of, you know, the traditional Japanese rope. Mm -hmm. And I always say that is not what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Kudos to the people who do that. It is absolutely beautiful. And I am just so like just stunned every time I watch it. I love it. But it's just not my style. I definitely do way more like kinbaku I do like the Seminawa, which is the the rope for suffering. It's very much Ooh. the, if you want me to hurt you, I want to hurt you. Like, please let me hurt you. <laughs> Ooh. My favorite thing about rope is taking someone into an experience where I can basically make them feel like I have taken them apart and put them back together again. Yeah, beautiful. What a gift. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to like, you know, oversell my skills by any means, but it's all about the intimacy and the experience with your bottom, whether it's on the floor or in the air, suspension or floor play. It really doesn't matter. Rope in the end is just a tool. But if you can kind of understand what your bottom wants to experience, you can probably get them there with, you know, the kind of pain they enjoy, you know, some of the things that are kind of on the edge of what they enjoy, staying away from their hard limits, of course. But that's where my sadistic side can come out and play in a way that's so rewarding for both me and my bottom. I get that out at like the beginning of the night. And then, you know, my bottom is probably really worn out (laughs) and they they can get their snacks and sit in like the fishbowl and, you know, hang out with like friends. And then, of course, aftercare, super important. I don't abandon them by any means. Thank you for saying so out loud. Yes, that is always important. So, you know, aftercare, snuggles, snack, hanging out with friends. And then after that, you know, if I have a scene arranged with a top, then I can kind of move into kind of my submissive side. And that's where my masochism side can come out. Because like a lot of the tops that I used to play with, they always joked and called me the freight train because they joked that I take a while to get started, but once I'm started, I can just kind of go all night. <laughs> I love that. Like, I always say, like, I can play hard and I can play long. Like, if you can break me, you're talented because good luck. As far as being a bottom, I love playing hardball. You know, I don't top from the bottom by any means. And I'm not a stoic bottom either. You know, I'm not one of those that just kind of sits there and doesn't make noise. But, like, I really like for my top to you know really have to pull apart my head in a way to try to get into my head to mess with me you know just sitting there and hitting me isn't gonna do it I need both I'm like you gotta fuck with my head and you gotta really like use my body like and I just need that yeah the psychological part of it is just as important for me it sounds like you're going to these parties 
with people you already know or are you meeting them there or was this part of your like network from the GSA or I get a lot of concrete questions from people that are like but how do you do it and I'm like I don't know that's why I'm like researching (laughs) I'm not the one to ask do you listen to me I don't know anything (laughs) but life is a great resource okay I'll I'll say that I find it so overwhelming I tried again recently and I am going on dates but yeah Yeah, I will say FetLife has definitely gotten a lot bigger than it used to be. Most of my experience in the active scene was honestly 10 to 5 years ago. I'm not in the active scene anymore just because of like everything that's happened in the past little bit. But I mean, the FetLife was great. I found out that they were opening a local dungeon. And so I actually kind of was like, hey, can I come help you paint? Can I come help you like build can I come volunteer because I had a bunch of free time you know I just moved out (laughs) and so getting in good with the people that were opening it kind of got me in with the community and so I was both meeting people but also bringing in my friends who could come to the parties friends from college friends from high school that had grown up with me all of that so it's kind of a mix I was definitely meeting a ton of people who were showing up to parties. And so I would have acquaintances that I would play with. We had one of those open request sheets where, you know, if you were a top seeking a bottom or if you were a bottom seeking a top for the night, you could put yourself on that list. And that was always great. And that doesn't guarantee you a scene by any means. It just guarantees you a conversation Mm -hmm. to decide if you were a good match. But it's a mix of bringing in people that you know and also just meeting people there. So it's way cool. That's awesome. Okay. Anything that we just like must know before we ask you our wrap up questions? I would definitely say that one of the most important things that I have learned with Polly. So there are lots of different versions of Polly. You know, some people have Polly that is much more open where they have, you know, multiple partners, you know, they're more casually dating five, six people and they kind of live, you know, alone or with one nesting partner. And, you know, it's much more, everyone has a Google calendar that they sync, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. Nothing against those people. If that's what does it for you, absolutely live your life. That's awesome. I definitely think that it's important for people like me to hear that that's not the only way to do poly. Because I know that the people who live that lifestyle are very, you know, joyous and loud about that version of Polly, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But I think that my version of Polly is often quieter and not as common. And so I know that when I was first getting into my version of Polly, I didn't know if it was possible and I didn't know if it was normal and I didn't know if it was right. So my version of Polly is much more. I don't want to say closed necessarily, but I'm probably the closest you can get to a traditional monogamous relationship now, but poly, if that makes sense. Not that our relationship is closed, but, you know, I have a husband, we have a house, and we have cats, and we're going to have a dog, and we're going to raise kids, and we're going to, you know, live that life. We have parents, and I also have a girlfriend, she's hoping to move in, and she's going to be a parent with us. Mm. And so, like, our kind of idea of this is very much still the family module unit. And I didn't know if that was possible. That's what always was so scary, because I knew I wanted both. I wanted to be a wife and have children and to have that family. But I also wanted to be Polly. 
And so much of the poly lifestyle doesn't normally fit into that. And it was so rewarding to find those few examples of when it did. And so I wanted to be one of those examples for hopefully someone else that's listening that you can absolutely have more than just one partner and still raise kids, you know, because I always say, you know, if a divorced parent and a stepdad and, you know, then an aunt and a grandma, if they can all raise kids, yep. then you can absolutely raise kids with more than, you know, one partner because at least you chose to do it. You know, yeah. you were intentional about it. It wasn't just a picking up the pieces from a, you know, mistake. Like, absolutely. Heck yeah. Yeah. And I think more love between adults is better for everyone, especially children. Absolutely. I think our home is going to be a place of love and acceptance and, you know, consent conversations and learning. And I don't think that there's going to be any problem with that. So I'm really looking forward to it. Fuck yeah. What else are you looking forward to in your sex life going forward? What are your hopes, goals, dreams, fears? Oh, man. More sex. (laughs) May it be so. I am excited for my girlfriend slash hopefully fiance eventually for them to really find themselves in a way that they're really comfortable with. Fingers crossed that that kind of helps them open up sexually in more of a top space, you know, in a bottom space, they're there. In a top space, they're still very timid. I get that. And, you know, I would love for them to be the scary partner. (laughs) Fuck yeah. And I really hope that my husband can you know find some more peace and less work so that hopefully we can kind of get back to our dynamic that we had in the earlier years of our relationship I miss him as a top because like there is something to be said for being in love with your top you know I have other partners that I am with that are very toppy I guess you could say and they're fabulous and I love them and they're great tops And I enjoy scenes with them, but there's just something a little magical, a little fantastic, a little different when it's him and I miss it. And it's so funny because he sometimes asks me, you know, not that he's worried about me leaving because he's not because he knows that that's not going to happen. But, you know, sometimes he asks me, would you rather just go find a dom? And it's like, nah, nah, I'm waiting for you. (laughs) You're the one I want. (laughs) Beautiful. That's my hope. And if you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice, what age or ages would you pick and what would you say? Oh, my goodness. Young me needed so much advice. Do I have to pick one? No. Multiples. Multiples okay. are allowed. All right. Well, then I would need to visit myself several times. Great. Because I would need to visit myself in middle school and in high school. Because the post-trampoline visit in middle school, I would need to tell myself that you need to go get out there. Like, you are so pretty. You have the body shape that all of your friends are going to be jealous of. And it's so easy to say you need to stop worrying, right? Because, like, that never happens. But I wish I could go back and tell myself that what you're experiencing is what every girl is experiencing. You're just experiencing it a little more because you're going to find out that you're going to have some mental health struggles. Mm. (laughs) Not that I would understand at that time. But I would say people are going to want you. They are. You just have to be able to want yourself. But until you want yourself, no one is going to see that you're there because you're going to make sure to keep yourself hidden. Because I did. I made sure to hide myself. Not that I knew I was doing it, 
but I did. Yeah. And then in high school, I would have to go back and just really say the same thing. But more than that, I would have to say just because she's pretty and just because she is the ideal feminine doesn't mean that you can't be too. Mm. Because there is not just one way to be feminine. There are so many versions of femme. And you can be tough femme and you can be hardcore femme and you can be like sexy in a dress but also be like rock climbing in a dress like dresses are not off limits just because you are the one fingering the girl instead of you know her fingering you like I wish I could go back and tell myself that you know gay relationships whether it's girls guys whatever top and bottom does not have to align to gender roles fuck yeah and I think every young person needs to know that beautiful emma thank you so much for being a guest on the show absolutely thank you for having me it's a privilege do you have a sex question for me what is the most surprising sexual experience you've had like afterwards you were like whoa i did not see that coming 